Hi, I'm Kay from Canada, and I've been driving since I was six years old. That's Kay from M20. This week, we're diving deep into Kay's story on humans of Minerva. Welcome to Humans of Minerva, a podcast which captures the interesting stories of humans at Minerva. I'm your host, Ben, and today I'll be sitting down with Kay from M20. Hi, Kay. Hi, Ben. Thank you for joining us today. I'd love to know quick facts about you for our listeners who probably don't know you. Where are you currently located? What do you do? Cool. So I'm currently in Berlin. I've been here since graduating in 2020. I am a people development manager at Leapsum, which is a scale-up based in Berlin that I actually interned for during Minerva and then have come back to you full-time. Originally from Canada, but my family actually is originally from Switzerland. So I have kind of a North America, European background. Awesome. I have a really interesting question for you. Right off the bat, we're diving straight in. There's no ice broken already. But I want to know, if there was a museum about you, what would that look like and what would be featured? This is very deep. One thing I have a lot of documentation on is ideas about stuff I think could be better. So in Minerva, I had a huge Evernote. Now I have a huge notion that just tags a lot of articles, cool ideas that people work on. I think I would call this museum of world improvement and you would walk in and it would have many different displays on topics like education, wellness, future of work, and all the arguments and ideas I have about how we can make them better, which is probably why I joined Minerva. I'd love to know when that started. Is that something that you've been doing since you were a kid or something you started in high school or just something more recently? I think my mom once choked that my first word was why, which I don't think is accurate, but I think would be a good summary for me. I think I always asked a lot of questions and my parents encouraged that a lot. So we'd listen to the radio, we'd hear the news come on and we'd all discuss our opinions and was really encouraged to challenge and question. That was also important to me in high school and choosing university. So pretty far back, I would say. We have so many resources now, so much knowledge, so much potential to make things better. And I feel like it's just really brutal and frustrating to see the ways that we don't leverage this for collective flourishing. Yeah, definitely. I'm hearing a lot of really interesting things I didn't even know. Could you just paint a quick picture of what your upbringing looks like? Because I think it's actually quite unique. Yeah, happy to. I grew up in northeastern British Columbia, which is in the northwest part of Canada. So if you know where Vancouver is, just drive north for about two days and you'll get to where I am. It's very agricultural, very resource-based. So most people work in agriculture or oil and gas and natural resources. My parents immigrated from Switzerland to start a farm. My mom with her family when she was little and my dad as an adult. And they met over there and started their own farm. So this is not a cute, organic, hoppy farm. I mean, to be clear, I fully support much better modes of agriculture. But in this case, it was commercial, very large scale, average size for the area, I guess. 
working farm. So just so people get a picture that this is not whatever cute footage you've seen with red barns and <laughs> goats running around, like not like this. And we mostly had grain. So wheat, canola, peas, barley, all these kinds of crops. Mm -hmm. My parents homeschooled us. My mom has her bachelor's in education and worked as a teacher previously. So she was quite qualified. And that was twofold. One, because they did want us to have a better education and more tailored time and really teach us how to effectively, critically think. Also because they are quite religious. So generally in the U.S. and Canada, there can be quite an overlap between homeschool communities and religious communities. It was a dual influence there. I have three siblings. All of them are in my home province still, although they've all traveled in the meantime. But I'm the black sheep who's been abroad most of the time. Yeah. Wow. That's really cool. This is just something I'm curious about. How do you get home when you travel? Like, yeah. So do you fly into Vancouver? And then what's the process in which for you to get home? Yeah. From Berlin, it would be usually Berlin, Frankfurt, Frankfurt, London, Mm -hmm. London to Toronto or Vancouver, and then Vancouver to Fort St. John. It's quite a few flights. And with COVID, there's just much less flights going up north now. So it is more of a schlep, that's for sure. Still, I think we're actually yeah. lucky in my town because of the oil and gas development. There is quite a few more flights than there might be to maybe your typical rural area. Oh, so there's an airport in the town. There's a regional airport, okay. and I would be about an hour away from it. But it's definitely something that both at Minerva and even in my current employment, people don't always understand that not everyone can just hop on a flight to, say, New York City. It takes a lot more time. It takes a lot more money. It takes multiple forms of transport. So, yeah, I'm not in the Arctic, but it still is some effort. I didn't go home for two years since the start of the pandemic, just because with quarantines, costs, travel time, it didn't really make sense. Yeah, that makes sense. That's definitely a story a lot of our listeners can likely relate to. But I'd love to hear maybe a little bit about how you think growing up, as you put it, more insulated childhood shaped you into who you are today because this is one of those things that I also assume other people assume but that's part of why people like to raise kids or be in urban areas is to be exposed to a diversity of ideas and that will then lead to more critical thinking and so on and so forth we know that's not necessarily true <laughs> but I do think that to have someone who grew up in such a rural area and then desire to go to a place like Minerva, where you are traveling to all these insanely urban cities and living in them for the four years, it's a huge jump. To me, I'm sensing a lot of change because you've now had such different experiences. I'm curious how that part of your childhood has shaped who you are today. Yeah, I also think about this a lot. First, I want to address the point around I sometimes find when I share more about my story with people, including, for example, on first or second dates, that I get a response that goes something like, oh, wow, it's so amazing that you left and 
you must have thought so independently, or you were so brave, or how did this happen? And I think this really reflects the strong stereotypes and biases that people often have about rural areas. It's true that people in urban areas are much more likely to, for example, go to university or study abroad, but this is where we have to think about correlation causation and feedback loops. The fact is, Minerva, when they spend marketing budget, they target cities. They target specific schools where they think they'll have a high return on investment for their recruiting time. Those schools will be full of people who were encouraged to go there by their high school counselor. Like it's very large feedback loop. I found out about Minerva through a Facebook ad. If I hadn't seen that Facebook ad, I wouldn't have been at Minerva because at the time, it never crossed my mind that I would be able to study in the U.S. I didn't really know how to do that. How do you even get your SATs written? So in a way, I do think it was some amount of randomness and serendipity that I ended up at Minerva. That's true. I also think that way more rural kids would do this type of thing if they were presented with these opportunities, if they had role models, if they had even one person in their life who said, hey, you could do this, and vice versa, that we could also stop stigmatizing things like trades or agriculture and also provide avenues for urban folks to get into that. But I really wanted to respond and strike down right away this narrative of like, ooh, small town girl goes to the big city to explore the world because I think that both spaces have very important value. And even though in some cities are the future, we still have 50% of the global population in urban areas. So really for Minerva or any education to be a global education, we should spend at least one semester or half if we're going to be equal in a rural area. No, that's great. Thanks for sharing. No, I completely agree. And I think it's really important that you share that because you're right with the feedback loop. I worked in recruitment up until three weeks ago. So I, I know exactly what you mean. And I was the one doing that work. And most Minerva students come from urban areas. I mean, that's just how it kind of pans out both intentionally and unintentionally. So I think having what you said is so important because I grew up completely in urban areas. I'm a city boy through and through, but I think those stereotypes that you mentioned are so real, at least from what I've been raised with. It started since my parents came to rural areas. So it's kind of funny in that way where they are the ones enforcing that stereotype with me and my siblings, even though they probably know that to be not true. I want to get back also to how you said the changes I went through or how I ended up at Minerva. I wouldn't say my childhood was, it was isolated in some ways. It was pretty heavily religiously influenced and my parents definitely wanted to insulate me and my siblings from some influences, but in other ways, it was much less of a bubble than many Canadian kids might grow up with because we did talk about world issues, social justice, politics quite a bit. So I had a lot of world awareness on those parts, but if you asked me, I'm still trying to learn all the like Disney and Harry Potter references <laughs> and all the things I need to use to pass in the modern world that this kind of typical 
Western upbringing that we take for granted, things everyone should know. So insulated in some ways and, and not in others. I also think growing up on a farm, your family's running your own business. You're dealing with the real world, like bad weather, financial markets, global politics, inflation, all of these things are really affecting your day-to-day life in a pretty acute way. So it's not the same as your parents leaving for work and coming home and telling you to not worry about money. These discussions are really part of the everyday. So insulated in some ways and not in others. Yeah. This has already been so interesting and insightful for me. <laughs> this is why I love these podcasts, because it's a way for me to hear a bit more about my classmates and friends. I want to dive a little bit into something you and I mentioned right before we started recording, which is mental health. That's something that perhaps our listeners, who most of our current students, would probably find useful to hear from you a little bit about. I know you mentioned that you took a leave of absence, which is why you joined my class, M20, partly for mental health reasons. So I would be curious if you would be willing to dive a little bit deeper into your thought process and taking that leave of absence and your relationship with your mental health has evolved over your time at Minerva because anyone to listening to this knows how hard Minerva can get. It's something that's very individual, but it's also something that I think everyone can relate to. So I'd love for you to maybe dive into that a little bit, starting with perhaps the leave of absence that you decided to take after your freshman year. Yeah, big topic. And it has definitely evolved a lot. I continue to keep learning and getting new perspectives. Growing up, my concept of mental health, I think, was mostly around mental illness. So there's been a history of anxiety and depression in my family. So in that way, I wasn't naive. But I don't think I understood mental well-being very holistically, that it actually mattered how I felt, and that there were things I could do for that. I had two categories. You have a problem and you take medication and go to therapy or you're fine. And I was always quite scared of medication. I had a lot of resistance to getting diagnosed and always felt like if I just worked harder and got my shit together, I would be okay. So it was very much a tough it out mindset, especially from the farm. You're working six days a week stuff gets hard. Sometimes it's minus 40. Sometimes you work 16 hour days and you do kind of have to be tough. So I think the model that I saw was get over things and get shit done. And I very much approached Minerva with that model and the same model I had in high school. How do I get perfect grades, be involved in the community, be a good friend, also promote slash fix slash save Minerva, which I think was an additional stress that the early class and classes had was the weight of trying to keep the institution alive and achieve our impacts and ideals there. San Francisco was the first city I lived in because Quest was in a very small town. It was a new country. I remember showing up for Ascent. Michael Yang in M19 sent me some link and said, if I clicked it, a car would come pick me up and drop me off at the hotel. (laughs) And I was like, like, I don't understand this. Someone's just picking me up for free. I was so confused. So it was an Uber, spoiler alert. And I download it with the SFO Wi-Fi. So 
Yeah, during my first year, I kept a daily journal of all the new experiences I had. One thing I learned from my classmates learning at Minerva and one thing in the city, which I highly recommend, by the way. Um, it's very cool to look back. It was a year of massive, massive change in learning. Not to mention, at the same time, I was further deconstructing my religious upbringing and going through a lot of personal changes and family changes. So it was really intense. And although there are many beautiful moments, and I think no experience really can ever compare to the Minerva first year experience and the amount of beautiful new connections and the community experience you have. But I do also think first year was probably one of the hardest years of my life, my hardest year at Minerva. I'm not saying a lot considering further years, which we'll talk about soon. I routinely felt like like my alarm would go off in the morning and I'd have an anxiety attack just by feeling like I had to face another day. My calendar was so packed. There was never enough time. I was trying to keep up with work, study, be a good person, be a good friend. I think it's all the stress of being 18 and an overachiever, plus family stress, plus the incredibly high expectations Minerva had of us and that we would have of ourselves, all really just coming to a point. And it's funny because I think a lot of people thought I was doing well, or they saw me as some kind of Minerva model, just from the impression that I got, because I always talked about things like take care of yourself. And I thought I was, but... I don't think I even knew how to value myself and my well-being enough to know. And the mm -hmm. reason I took a year off is because I literally was at a point where I thought, I do not know if I can drag myself through four years of this. I don't want to. I want my university experience to be something better. Mm -hmm. And I was having suicidal thoughts, which wasn't exactly new to me. I always considered myself I called it low-key depressed or low-key suicidal because I just didn't take myself seriously really I just didn't know how to continue on and I didn't know what else to do I didn't really have other resources I could lean on and I didn't see how I could make it through Minerva I thought well at least I can take a year off to work through some of this personal and religious and family stuff and then come back it was really hard. At the time, M19 was so close. I believed so much in Minerva. We invested so much. It felt like there wasn't anything comparable. I honestly don't know what would have happened if I'd stayed because I know the Berlin semester for many M19s was pretty brutal. I think ultimately it was a good decision for me, although there's no counterfactual. I had no strategies in my mental health toolkit. The only strategy I knew to do was to push through until you couldn't anymore and then stop. So I stopped. I will say, I think you're right in the regard that a lot of people, and maybe even some people listening to this, are 18, 19 year olds who are used to being overachievers and just kept telling themselves to push and push and push, right? That's something that so many people, that's mm -hmm. their main approach throughout their whole lives to mental health but it does sound like it's changed since then so i love to hear a little bit more about the subsequent three years when you came back 
how that's influenced your perception on how to take care of your mental health and how has it changed? It's still evolving. I'm excited for me in my 30s and 40s and 50s and beyond because I imagine with how much I learn, I'm just excited for the broader perspectives I'll have in the future. I'm only 25 now. But on my leave of absence here, I really just focused on only me. I didn't sign up for anything. I just worked and journaled and took walks. To be clear, I don't think this is the only or best way to take care of yourself, but I had no strategies in my toolkit besides time. So I spent a lot of time still depressed. I wasn't seeing a therapist. I didn't even consider it. And it was a tough year, and it wasn't until February of the next year where I had a moment where I felt like, I think I'm going to be okay, and maybe at some point I could be happy. Yeah, I feel emotional talking about it. It was just a really specific moment. I was sitting in a cafe on a Saturday morning before work journaling and realizing, like, I felt okay. And for me, that was such a big moment compared to the past. So that gives you an indication of how I was doing before. And it's true that you can push through things. Humans are capable of so much. Our mind exists to do pretty much one thing, which is keep us alive. So it will go to great lengths to ensure you can keep surviving. It will disassociate. It will repress trauma. It will store stress and anxiety in your body. We're very good at surviving, almost too good, because we can push ourselves so far. But there are consequences, whether it's disassociation and numbness because you can't deal with the reality, your mind just checks out, whether it's trauma and stress that will come back to you in the future. So it is very possible to push through. And sometimes we need to in circumstances like war or so many times when we have to survive. But what makes me so sad is that we live in a world where we shouldn't have to, where we have resources and knowledge. And yet so many of us are still in survival, even in contexts where theoretically we should have a high quality of life, right? I grew up in Canada, my needs are taken care of, but the social mindset we have of productivity and pushing through at all costs, we don't have societal values around well-being. We only value well-being to the extent that you can continue functioning and performing. We value functioning, not even happy functioning, just productive functioning. I was able to, quote unquote, high achieve and do all of this stuff, and I still could do that and I choose not to. So how this evolved when I came back to Minerva, well, there was a big curveball that occurred right before I came back, which was several sports accidents that resulted in traumatic brain injury and long-term post-concussion syndrome, which actually I think is what most people think is the reason I took a year off, but that's not true. It happened right before I came back. And the social worker I spoke to told me, ah, you really should think about taking a year off. And I said, I just did this. Like, <laughs> I, I wanted to go back so badly. I felt so ready. I wanted to jump back in. So I made 
what might not have been my best health decision, which was to rejoin Minerva and jump back into second year in Seoul and Hyderabad with maltraumatic brain injury. So I think that forced me to take care of myself because I wouldn't have survived. I had to be really strict about my sleep schedule, not drinking any alcohol, really strong routines, feeding myself. That would be the second toughest year of my life, or maybe the toughest. Minerva was a lot of hard. For all the current students, I just want to send so much care and empathy because I think no one will really ever understand the experience. And no one will ever understand your experience because you have your own unique background, mental health, family, stress, goals, needs. It's a very privileged experience, but it's very hard and one that I question if it should exist in the way that it does. The second year was quite intense and I focused a lot on my health because I had to, but it was a tough mental health year. I felt really isolated having changed classes not being able to participate a lot in social events due to the concussion felt, to be honest, very unsupported by Minerva because there was no structures or resources to really effectively navigate care. There was no caseworker. How do you navigate healthcare for yourself in new countries on these specialized topics every four months? Current students will know this can be a nightmare with literally a reduced mental capacity. There's just so much here. And I think this really highlights how mental health is not just about mental health. It is interwoven with your physical health, financial resources, your family support, your general social structure. It's intersectional. I made it through first and second year quite well, if you think about everything I dealt with, I look back and think, who let me do this? But it was tough. My first tattoo was about that experience and just how alone I felt. Once I started making more friends again, that got easier. But to be honest, the feeling of doing a really new thing in a school where maybe not a lot of people understood your background with high expectations from yourself and maybe a tight financial situation and a really uncertain future, all aspects I think many Minervans could relate to, is incredibly difficult. And the thing that often feels the toughest for me looking back at Minerva is how hard the experience was because of how hard I was on myself. The external circumstances were one thing, but then the level of self-judgment that I put on top of myself and how much I pushed myself to go to every event, to try and do everything, made it much harder. So my biggest regret is that experience didn't have to be as brutal as I made it. But again, I didn't really know at the time that how I felt mattered and to have that value of valuing myself because I valued my productivity, my grades, my achievements, how good I thought I was, what Minerva wanted from me, what everyone wanted from me, not what I wanted from myself. You're completely right. And it's something that I hope is helpful for our listeners to hear is that it's hard. So don't 
beat yourself up when you're struggling because I think people do that a lot. It already is hard, but we make it even harder on ourselves by beating ourselves up for not being the ideal perfect robot machine that we want to be a productivity. So for those who are listening who may be struggling, just recognize that that's part of this experience and to care for yourself in those moments and to reach out for help and mainly to kind of take some time to just be on your own and and listen to yourself and what you need and not have to just push through every time because you don't have to, not every time. I do want to acknowledge, though, that we are in a really inhuman system. The real stress and pressure people have from finances, from their parents, from their life situation, that advice like, ah, just take time for yourself is already privileged advice. So I think Mm -hmm. one thing is about what you do, but the second part is how you talk to yourself. The shame and the shoulds. Exercise I really recommend is to take 10 minutes and write down every should you have for yourself. I should have perfect grades. I should know what I want to do after graduation. I should call my parents more. I should participate in more events. I should work out three times a week. Just write them all down and then look at the list. And it often just makes me laugh because I realize how insanely unrealistic and fundamentally incompatible most of my shoulds are. And it helps me to take the pressure off myself that it's just not realistic. It's, I imagine, also liberating to realize that these are mostly things you're holding for yourself and that it doesn't have to be. Nobody's forcing you to do that, which can be really freeing, I imagine, where... Your destiny's in your hands. You get to choose a little bit. Yeah. Honestly, okay. So important that you're willing to talk about this so candidly. And I'm really grateful that you're willing to share this with me. I would love to be talking about this because this is so interesting. But on that note, if there are listeners who wanted to talk to you a little bit more about everything that you mentioned, is that something you're open to? Interesting. Back in the day, I would have said yes immediately. Like, oh, my job is here to help people. I want to help people. And this is true. It's just interesting to notice how now I would actually pause to check in with myself. I do want people to reach out if they feel moved to say something, if they just want to share, if they want help. Cool. That's great. And in that case, what would be the best way for somebody to reach you? Facebook Messenger or LinkedIn. Cool. Okay. So let's jump straight into fast fire round question because I think it's a good way to kind of mentally wind. I love that space, but I also want us to wrap up at the end, even though I don't really want us to wrap up because there's so many other questions that I have to not ask you. We love to talk, obviously. So <laughs> this is great. But let's jump in. Let's say you're walking. Are you like a musicianer or a podcaster? Neither. Both. Used to oh. be a podcast. Because I was all must optimize productivity all the time, then got more into music. Now I sometimes even walk silently or do walking phone calls. I really like that. Or walking meetings rather than sitting. Awesome. Okay. Cats or dogs? Dogs. All right. All right. Do you have a dog? No, because it would be irresponsible since I don't know what I'm going to do with the next <laughs> my life. But my long-term dream, once we save the world, or maybe even before that, is to have a Bernese mountain dog like my grandfather had on my farm. In like the huge ones? No, no, no. That's the St. Bernard, a Bernese mountain oh, dog. Oh, okay. You can Google okay. it. They're beautiful. 
And if you could send one message out into the world right now, just in this moment, what would that be? It sounds cliche, but take care of yourself, not at the expense of other people. I'm not a fan of this like neoliberal, everyone should just look out for themselves, but you matter. And that's the first building block to take care of others as well. I love that. We're all connected. You know, I love that. That's really great. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for chatting with me and being so vulnerable and honest. It's been frankly inspirational listening to you. And hopefully you can be an inspiration for those who are listening as well. Yeah, thank you for this. I often find this with many Minervans. It's hard to integrate all our experiences. And there aren't many contexts where people can really grasp that. It's nice for me to also take a step back and let's say like, wow, a lot of things have happened. And I appreciate being able to talk about it with you as well. Yeah. So thanks. Thanks for your thoughtful listening ear and your own contributions. Thanks, Kate. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast and automatically get notified about new episodes on Spotify, Apple, and Google Podcasts. Follow us on Instagram at humansofminerva.podcast for all the latest updates and announcements. And finally, special thanks to our editor, Anli Lian, for working her magic on this episode. Thanks for listening to Humans of Minerva. See you next time.